This morning we continue our summer series in the book of Romans in the New Testament and we'll be reading from the fifth chapter of Romans. It's a rhetorical and a literary bridge, but it's also a theological bridge. It begins with the word, therefore. Building on what has preceded, Paul is making an argument now and he introduces the idea that death and resurrection of Jesus is not only a propitiation for sin or an expiation for sin, God making a sacrifice once and for all. And secondly, not only is it like Abraham and Sarah, where God has reckoned righteousness to those who believe, now this new idea is introduced. We see God's love revealed in that death and resurrection. God has befriended us. It is while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And as the old hymn declares it, what a friend we have in Jesus. I invite you now to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the fifth chapter of Romans. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Mount Vernon, Texas, Drummond's Bar began construction, expansion of their building to increase their business at the bar. And in response, the local Baptist church took exception to that, so they started to campaign to block the bar from expanding with petitions and with prayers. And work progressed on the expansion right up till the week before the grand reopening when lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. After the bar burned to the ground by the lightning strike, the church folks were rather smug in their outlook, bragging about the power of prayer until the bar owner sued the church on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building, either through direct or indirect actions or means, end quote. In its reply to the court, the church vehemently denied all responsibility in any connection to the building's demise. So the judge read through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply, and at the opening of the hearing, he commented, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire 
church congregation who now does not, end quote. Life can get confusing. Romans uses the language of the court like, but if our injustice serves to confirm the justice of God, what should we say? That God is unjust to inflict wrath on us? By no means, writes Paul. I suspect during this pandemic, there have been a number of people who've reflected on the possibility that like the plagues of Egypt, we're seeing plagues all over the world once again. Is this evidence of God's judgment? Coronavirus throughout the world, locusts in Africa, flooding, earthquakes, fires, economic turmoil. What is God up to? Well, there's an argument being made in Romans that we have nothing to fear about future judgment. If Christ's death means God has made peace with us, though we were God's enemies at the time, then Christ's resurrection means God will save us now that we're his friends and we can have confidence in God's love. Now, many of you know from stories I've told before in sermons that my youth was a bit turbulent. I was often in trouble in school and not infrequently with the law. Suspensions from school were not uncommon. In fact, it was pretty much an annual event. Eventually, I dropped out of high school. I hitchhiked across three states and began working on a cattle ranch at the age of 17. Now, you can imagine how difficult this must have been for my family and especially for my parents. My older brother was on his way to becoming a doctor. My younger brother was preparing to be a police officer, and my two younger sisters were both preparing for careers in the healthcare industry. What was wrong with Jeff? Same family system, same parents, different results. It was a difficult time, but eventually I came through it, thanks to faith in Jesus Christ. I was at odds not only with my family, I was at odds with myself, I was at odds with life itself. Years later, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and we were at a family function, and her memory was sometimes present, sometimes not. At that function, my siblings began talking about those turbulent adolescent years of my own history, And my wife turned to my mother and asked, do you remember how much grief Jeff caused you, Barb? She answered, oh, I remember. I protested quickly, Mom, remember, I'm now a minister, right? And I thought, great. She can't remember much of anything these days, but she remembers me at my worst moment in life. But later I thought, there's a good reason to remember us at our worst moments. Because when I was at my worst, she was at her best. That was when my parents' love was refined, was proven, was demonstrated, was secured. 
I knew that their love was unconditional and it was reliable and it was lifelong. We went through some tough times for which I was largely responsible. But eventually we came out on the other side of those difficulties and we're at peace. And we could even laugh at that history. Now that seems something close to the point Paul is trying to make in the fifth chapter of Romans. There's an existential crisis going on. The children of God have made a mess of things and are at odds with themselves and with life and with God. Sometimes called the doctrine of total depravity. God's love becomes revealed to us when we're at our worst. And when you begin to grasp what that really means, it changes the way you live. It changes why you live. What is God up to? God is pouring into our hearts, changing the course of our history, changing the course of all history. You know, we like to talk about character development these days, especially those of us who are parents and concerned about how we're going to raise our children with good character. David Brooks, years ago, wrote The Road to Character, recent example. Well, Paul, Paul sees life as filled with opportunities to develop character. Opportunities that produce the very things that we need most. He writes, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. So suffering, rather than being a sign of God's judgment, it's an opportunity for the growth of our character. It refines us. It proves our mettle. It secures our unconditional reliance upon the Lord. Stress produces character. I love Earl Palmer's take on this whole thing. He's got this great line in this regard. Heroes aren't made. They're cornered. You don't have to, you don't have heroes unless you have the occasion to rise to something. Normally, we think intense pressure produces fatigue, and fatigue produces discouragement, and discouragement produces despair. But Paul reverses all of that. Pressure doesn't produce fatigue. Instead, it produces endurance or perseverance. God's not trying to trip us up or find reasons to punish us. God is relentlessly and unconditionally on our side. And we see, and we see God's love revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans is dealing both with what happened objectively in history in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also what it means subjectively in our lives. It puts us 
in life framed completely differently. Not with God as an angry judge waiting to send lightning bolts in our direction, but as the one who has become our friend just at the very point where we needed a friend the most. You know, C.S. Lewis had a wonderful way of describing this and was in his description of the Incarnation describing both the objective and the subjective dimensions of what has happened in the death and resurrection of our Lord. He writes, In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Then he goes on. Or one may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down, through green and warm water into black and cold water, down, through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they've come up into the light, down below where it lay colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. End quote. You see, what Paul is describing is that we are those dripping, precious things that God has gone down to recover. It was in that death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay when we were powerless to help ourselves that God made the ultimate sacrifice in order to redeem us. When we were at our worst, Christ was at his absolute best. Therefore, writes Paul, We no longer have to worry about a God of judgment and lightning bolts from heaven and plagues of judgment. God is up to something. But God is up to something wonderful. It's so wonderful, it's difficult to describe it in words. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us, writes Paul. But that's another sermon for another day on Romans chapter 8. What is God up to? Something wonderful. Despite what it happens to feel like in the present moment, in our present experience of difficulty and even suffering, we are more than conquerors through the God who loves us. So let God pour his love into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust that you will not be asked to endure what you cannot handle when you rely upon the strength that God provides. Heroes are not made. They're merely cornered. So when you're feeling cornered, that's the time to rise to the occasion. You have been loved at your worst. And you will be loved all the way home. So be confident in the present moment. In the present circumstances that you're facing. Face it with faith. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.